In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. A quick reminder before we jump in, if you haven't yet joined my email list, do yourself a favor and join today. There is so much more to Wildfire than this podcast, like absolutely free monthly writing workshops. Join the list to stay in the know at wildfirecommunity.org. All right, on to today's episode. Today, we're going to hear a piece about community. I've shared in the past that a big reason I started Wildfire was because I needed to find others like me out in the world. Other people who had faced breast cancer young, maybe with little children or a young marriage or at the beginning of a career with very little savings to speak of. People who would know what I meant when I talked about menopause in my 30s or the struggle to find bras and swimwear that not only work for my one-breasted chest, but also don't make me feel like I'm old before my time. This is what the search for community is all about. But the story I have for you today is about another side of the breast cancer community that we sometimes overlook, but it's right there with us too. In fact, they are there from the very, very beginning. I'm talking about the doctors. I know I felt very alone going through my diagnosis part, but the truth is I was surrounded by people who knew what was at stake, who understood the weight of what was happening because they'd seen it before countless times. I wonder how different those first few weeks in breast cancer land might have felt for me if I could have found more peace in the process knowing I was surrounded by a community. Maybe if I had heard the story you're about to hear today, my experience would have been different. This one goes out to anyone in the beginning stages of breast cancer, to anyone who has a friend or a loved one who is going through it, or to you who have been in it for ages now, but maybe need a slight recalibration like I did to know that I wasn't alone. My guest today is Megan Nathanson, and the title of her story tells you so much. The story is called There Can Be Joy. Megan is a writer and a visual artist, and as you'll soon see from her story, Megan writes about her inner world to inspire a deeper, more resounding presence in the lives of others. She also creates art that pieces together a new life from what might otherwise have been discarded. In all that she does, she means to tell a story and to invite others to join her in winnowing out the wonder and the essence of why we're here. Megan was diagnosed at 45 with stage two hormone positive breast cancer, and she's joining me today from Maine. Hey, Megan, welcome to The Burn. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So Megan, as I said, you're reading a piece you wrote with this title I love so much called There Can Be Joy. And this was featured in our 2021 community issue. 
This was an issue in which we explored how we are finding or not finding our places in cancer land. So after you read, we'll get an update from you because this piece is more than a year old now, and we'll talk about finding joy despite cancer. And those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. All right, Megan, I'll let you take it away. Thanks so much. There can be joy. An ultrasound room seems like an odd place to find joy. I would not go looking for it there. The place where tissue is extracted and examined for cells gone rogue has qualities antithetical to human magic. Cold and sticky gel is rubbed across bare skin while danger lurks on a glowing screen. Places you loved or tolerated before are suddenly deemed suspect. As the technician led me down the hallway, I noticed the way her wavy hair was cut in a subtle, angular manner, so when it draped down her back, it fell into a V-shape. I didn't know at the time it was likely a fresh cut for her wedding in Vermont the weekend before. She showed me where I would put my bag, overflowing with a heavy book and multiple other weighty items. I thought about how later I would be told I shouldn't pick up anything heavier than a milk carton. I would carry my belongings out like a bag of groceries, not slung over my shoulder as usual. Bending forward, I unzipped my mud-splattered boots and climbed onto the table, imagining the experience might be restful, a rare luxury to lie down midday in a dimly lit room. This idea of resting while people prodded me would become a trend. I had been ill-prepared for the first biopsy, which had seemed like a formality, likely just scar tissue from the milk duct removal. Afterward, I canceled a full day of activities, crawling into bed with an ice pack. I had not considered the signals my body would receive having three of these procedures back-to-back on both breasts, seemingly every shred of them being examined for evidence of more cancer. The ultrasound wand was pressed down forcefully on my bare chest in the same bruised area where I had the previous excision. My arm, raised in an L-shape above my head, began shooting pins and needles into my hand before we had even begun. The technician apologized for being silent for a long stretch as she mapped out the red and blue landscape of my inner world, reflected like a military radar screen to my right. She lined up the suspicious locations of density like targets. I told her I welcomed the quiet. Her presence felt immediately familiar in the way of an old friend. I heard an assistant come in, and when I turned to look, I recognized the back of her frame as she quickly dove into her preparations. Her fuchsia scrubs were the only notable color in the room, brightening the space like a bouquet. When she finally turned toward me, her hair swung around at her chin. Her face reacted with happy recognition. I thought it might be you. I filled her in on the results from my previous test and watched as the space between her eyebrows contracted with concern. This had become a familiar facial expression in the people I shared my diagnosis with. Then she brightened, doling out affirmations of hope, just like candy. I couldn't say her age. She was likely not all that much older than me, but she brought the mother energy into the room. From beginning to end, she filled up a halo of comfort around me with endless offerings of support. Her presence was like a siphon, keeping me fueled and abreast of what was happening. She left the room to find a warmer, softer blanket, better, she thought, 
than what had already been draped over me. The radiologist came in like a force of nature, a resident in her wake. She made a comment about the how, how the doctor with her was fortunate to be on her service in a room full of women. We all laughed as she quickly pardoned herself, acknowledging the many capable men working in the hospital. We were acquainted from the previous biopsy and she greeted me warmly, then quickly switched gears, detailing her plan to the others. She was like a sergeant barking out orders, only kinder and with an upbeat energy. There was a lot to be accomplished. She had a commanding voice and presence I might have once found off-putting. I might have read her as brash or overconfident. Not anymore. I understood better about what it takes. I understood about how many ways women have been taught to shrink and to be quiet, to dim what allows us to make a needed contribution in a flailing world. I could sense in her the many layers that existed in order to demonstrate so much skill under the weight of responsibility with alternating humor and seriousness. The sound of a breast biopsy is exactly like the sound an ear-piercing gun makes when penetrating cartilage. It is like a hole puncher making its way through a stiff sponge. I began bracing myself for the sound as everyone in the room lined up images on two screens to mir mirror the reality of what was going on inside of my chest. The last time I was there, the radiologist had suggested I'd look away when she began inserting numbing needles into my breast tissue. This time I closed my eyes without prompting. I began concentrating on my breath, dropping my awareness down into my belly, softening and gripping simultaneously. The assistant came around by my head and propped a pillow under my arm and then took my hand in hers as the procedure got underway. Chatter began about weddings and stinky boy children. So several of us had a couple of those and honeymoons filled with reading and sleeping late. We found levity more than expected given the circumstances, but there was always a pause and a sense of space being held in each moment when the real work was undertaken. I could feel a force of goodwill in the room, like oxygen was being pumped in. Each biopsy target, target required multiple shots for numbing that felt like exaggerated bee stings, and then one long needle inserted deeply into hard-to-access locations in my breast. I steadied myself for the pressure of the reach and turned in my mind to the energy of my sisters and friends who promised to be with me from afar. I experienced a sense of them as if they hovered over me. Their personalities fell away in my mind and I knew them for the backdrop of their being. With the numbing agent, you can't really know for certain whether it has fully deadened the area in question until the contraction of the biopsy tool is made. And after each compression, the radiologist questioned me, are you okay? You doing okay? She said she could hear my heart beating. I assured her I was okay. At one point, troubleshooting was necessary. The resident sat at a computer across the room, meticulously considering the best course of action based on the imagery from a previous test. Peering through horn-rimmed glasses, she contributed, contributed her opinion and then stepped back to observe. We celebrated between biopsies and the bed was turned around multiple times for better access. Each time I was spun around, it was as if a slate was being wiped clean 
or like I was being let up for air. Everyone seemed to take the moment, that moment to exhale. And I realized each of these women were holding their breath for me. I watched as the clock ticked closer and closer to school pickup time. And when I was finally finished, the relief was palpable. I was ready to jump out of the bed and leave. But my mother for the afternoon encouraged me to move more slowly. She helped me to sit up and saw I had water in my bag encouraging me to drink. She wanted, me, she wanted to know my plan for the afternoon. I didn't tell her my husband would be working late. I told her instead, my friend, who also had breast cancer, had brought food. Afterward, I felt elated. It was more than the adrenaline surging through my body. Even as I had experienced extreme discomfort, I felt as if I had also been held for many hours in a gentle womb by a group of women who knew their job extended beyond the technical aspects for which they were each responsible. Walking into the damp main air, I made my way to my car, and just as I was getting in, I realized a connection. It nearly stopped me in my tracks. I was trying to put my finger on what I was feeling. My mind became wrapped around the idea of joy. Instances that elicit this human magic, a fleeting knowing that all is right in the world. I put two things together and realized that wherever there is love present, there can be joy two qualities inextricably bound. It doesn't matter if the time is bleak. It doesn't matter if you and your friend, a woman of grit and dogged humility, both have cancer. Whatever the circumstances, within the vicinity of love is a gateway, a reliable passage to the highest realm of experiences we might ever have. Oh, Megan, that was so beautiful. Thank you so much for reading your story today. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break here and um, pause for a testimonial. And when we come back, we will chat. Sounds great. Hi, my name is Emily Purcell, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 27 years old, one year into my new marriage. I have been a Wildfire magazine subscriber for years and feel like I found my people. I love mail days when the new issue arrives. The physical magazine is beautiful, but the words written by so many women who have similar stories to mine is soul fulfilling. Everyone just wants to be understood and reading Wildfire makes being a part of this cancer club a little more bearable and a lot more beautiful. Thanks so much for the love, Emily. You guys listening might recognize Emily as my teammate here at Wildfire. Before she joined me here, she was like you and me, someone facing life after diagnosis, not sure what the world would look like or even how to make a life going forward. So glad you found wildfire when you did, Emily. All right, Megan, turning back to you now. Thank you again for your story. And I'm so excited to talk with you about it. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you as well. So let's start with uh, an update. It's been a little while since you wrote this story. And can I ask you how long it's been since you were diagnosed and going through the actual experience you wrote about? I am three years post-cancer treatment. So oh. I've just reached my three-year mark. It's been, it's been a while and it's, um, you know, it's something that you do still continue to live with in some ways. But um, I'm very happy to report that I recently got a clear, um, I had a clear, clear scans and, and things are looking good for me. 
I'm so glad. I'm so glad to hear that. So yeah, so four years now, um, since ish, since your diagnosis, mm-hmm. you know, and you've um, continued to be held in this community of caregivers, you know, we, we, I think before cancer kind of think that you just do treatment and then move on. Um, but the truth is what either you're diagnosed stage four and you do treatment forever, or even in early stage cancer, you continue to have appointments. You continue to have experiences that put you face-to-face with this community of caregivers. And so I'm just wondering, my question is, how does this story resonate for you now reading it even later? And does it still ring true for you? There are two things that come up for me when you ask about that. Um, So after writing this piece, and I I wrote briefly throughout my treatment, I I had been a writer for many years and had been writing a blog for about seven years when I was diagnosed. And when I wrote about my treatment, the, the readers who had been following me for many years were incredibly responsive. And I realized I had been working on a book at the time, and I realized that I needed to change change course. I was quite far into that book. And I just realized that this was actually the book I needed to write. Mm. And one of the things that I wrote about was how, um, so I finished my treatment and pretty much went right into COVID. And I had two children at home. So I had just, you know, was just recovering and had to turn my attention to homeschooling and things like that. And the following spring, I think it was, I, um, I had almost exactly the same procedure that I described in this, um, in this essay, because I opted for a lumpectomy. And I continue to be and and with very dense breast tissue, I have to be monitored really closely. And I'm often getting biopsies and things. And so just as COVID was hitting, I went through all of these same biopsies. And I can't tell you how different the experience was. Mm. The practitioners were all um, really, everyone was wearing masks. And I think people were really afraid in that moment. It was right at the beginning of COVID. And it was remarkably different. And it really got me thinking over, you know, just over time. And as I wrote my book about, you know, what, how, what we bring to a situation can transform it one way or the other. And, um, so I, I was, it was just interesting to see, to, to be able to live out both of those experiences, um, beside themselves. But the other thing that I wanted to share that I found so interesting is, is I've seen a number of friends go through, um, medical situations since, since I went through mine. And it's amazing how, uh, nourishing the community aspect um, and the love and concern you receive, even from your medical staff, um, how how important it is and how um, soothing it can be to, to a person in their life and how we don't necessarily always have access to that at other times. You know, people can be struggling in, in less seen ways or ways that are not cancer and they're not... Um, they're not receiving that care. But what I, what I always hear from people who are going through this sort of treatment, regardless of, um, 
of the circumstances is, oh, everyone was so nice. They were, I was so well cared for. And, and just as human beings, how much we need that attention and care and, and how I've thought many times that I wish there were a way to do that without, without being in the midst of a cancer treatment for mm-hmm. people to receive that same attention and care. Mm. Yes. I love all of that. And I also really love that you are able to compare these two experiences as well, because a mm-hmm. lot of people now are experiencing cancer for the first time in its totality within a pandemic. And yes. it's so interesting how the masks alone can change an experience. You know, I've heard from people too, you know, not being able to bring a loved one with them. Um, you know, that is profound, but also just to have that, that cloth covering separating you from someone or, or that hesitancy, maybe to hold a hand or, yes, you know, yes, absolutely. I I've, I've thought of that. So, so often. Um, I just agree so much how it just was remarkable that, that, um, you know, the experience I had was, was so close. And so, you know, like I described the nurse holding my hand and I was, it was like, I was a friend and it just, you know, if anything, the, the next time that it occurred, I just, I felt like you've described just, you know, like people were cautious of, of their physical presence with someone else. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because coming back to your story, while you were you were finding comfort from this community, but you also went within yourself, and you describe it so beautifully to say you were softening and bracing. I think you said mm-hmm. at the same exact mm-hmm. time, and focusing on your breath, going into your belly, and that is something that's power we can access if we know how anywhere in any situation, whether you're surrounded by people who are able to hold you physically or not. And, and that's really profound. Is there anything you would want to share with someone experiencing this right now with that separation? Absolutely. I am. I was thinking about today in a sense was, uh, the perfect day to do this, um, this call because it wasn't going so well. It was, it was not a situation where, you know, I hoped to have a conversation where I'd be very, you know, in a place of joy, mm-hmm. perhaps, you know, or, or really clear and just due to the circumstances surrounding, you know, what was going on where I am, it just was, you know, there was a lot happening. And so um, it made me really think about, you know, um, the joy that, that came up on that day uh, I, I, well, a couple of things. First is that, um, I think that we can't force an experience and just having a sense of openness in life, um, is what allowed that to occur because I was not going, I did not expect that that day. And so just because I had, you know, generally done a lot of work around open heartedness and, um, and supporting myself lovingly. Um, It was that was a a little gift that occurred that day. But I would say that um, people really do have what it takes to, um, they have access to a well of um, love and support right within themselves. It is available. It is a birthright. It is each one of us comes to this planet. Um, and that 
the only thing we have control of really is whether we open, stay open, or if we close off that channel of peace, of love, um, and the very most important place direction to channel that love is, is inwardly into ourselves. And when we do that, then we can be that gift to others. But um, I would just say to people going through this and not the ideal circumstances that um, just to um, know that there is no outward um, situation that needs to happen, but that you can, wherever you are, whether it's in your car, if, it, if you're in a cancer treatment room, you do have uh, this, this uh, force really um, that, that can be accessed. And um, I just encourage people so much to turn to it, whether they're going through cancer treatment or not. I love that. Would you say that the first step for accessing this, you know, for anyone who might not be familiar is is it beginning with breath for you or is there a first step you think would would help someone you know i think breath is the gateway for so so many people and it's something i do a lot of breath work myself however i think that could also be an obstacle if you think oh i have to calm my breath first i actually find that if i can soften my mind um and sort of um allow my eyes to close and drop down into my body more fully. If I can get my feet on the earth somewhere, bare feet on the earth is huge for me. Um, and just allow my brow to soften. Um, and I really experience this power as like the space behind my eyes, between my eyebrows, the third eye area. Um, and, you know, it does soften the breath when you do that, and then you can find your breath. But I, I really find that that grounding, finding, you know, getting your feet flat on the ground and just um, maybe like also touching your heart and your belly is a way to just land in your body more. Um, and just, you know, being a friendly voice to yourself and being the voice that you would be to a little child or a little baby. And, and I think it's such a great place to start. It's um, if you're in the middle of a treatment, if you could just be as gentle with yourself as possible and just know that all we really have, you know, at any point in life is the current moment. And, and just to, to see how that moment might surprise you and just, just believe that, that, you are okay right where you are, however things unfold, and and just it's safe to to be alive, to to be present for whatever is happening around you. And I do not have this all figured out. I want to be the first one to say that. Um, and I I often do not find that place when I'm you know I I often do not. But um, but it's, it, it's helpful to know it's there and it's a practice. So it's, it's a muscle. It's like anything else. If you just start, if you can find presence in one difficult moment, then you're only going to get better at it in the future moments. It's so, so true. Yeah, it's so true. And I love so many things that you said. One is that, you know, 
it sounds funny to say that I love this, but I do love that you admitted that you're not an expert in this because Mm -hmm. I think it can be intimidating for someone to hear, you know, someone. Absolutely. um, But also this idea that there can be dueling emotions, you know, you can have grief and joy in the same moment. You can have anxiety and find a way to feel grounded and touch the soil, like you said, in that same moment. And I, I love what you said about bare feet on the ground. And I, know some people, you know, going through this who are sitting in a cancer center obviously can't put their feet in the soil. But I um, wonder if this will resonate for you. One thing I found in those moments that helps me feel, it's kind of mimicking that feeling is if I tune into um, a bird song playlist, I listen to bird song Mm. and I smell, I have a little vial of um, pine uh, essential oil and I just Mm. feel like I'm in the forest and it just it transports me into some other other way of being. Absolutely. All of those sorts of ways of, of I really think it comes down to grounding yeah. and landing, making sure, you know, we've had so many reasons to kind of escape our bodies in the world and to just sort of reclaim your body. And especially when you're going through these, these really difficult procedures and things like to befriend your body in that um, and whatever it takes, if it's it like oils and, and smells and scents and, and all of these things are, are definitely um, so helpful, but also to be gentle. Um, you know, I'm constantly telling myself, you know, in, in one way or another, something to the effect of, Oh, we'll just start again. Mm. You know, like Mm -hmm. having children, I have two children and, and, you know, we might have not that long ago today and, and, and they will not mind my sharing this. There was a little, you know, uh, um, something came up and and we talked through it and it's just like, well, we'll start again. You know, it doesn't mean this day is ruined. It doesn't mean this moment is ruined. We just, we can always start again. Oh my God. I love the power of the do over and, and the permission for that, you know, whether it's external to children or to ourselves is so powerful. Absolutely. I mean, we were, this is a, we're evolving as human beings and, and we're evolving, um, as individuals and all we can do is, 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 um, take each day as a new day and, and try, um, try our best. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we're, we're almost out of time, but I do want to come to the book that you mentioned, you know, that you had this kind of pivotal moment, um, literally pivoting and deciding what you were writing about. Will you tell us, give us a little update on, on your book and where we can find it? Well, it, it has not yet been published. Okay. I have, I have completed it. Um, I'm looking for the right representative for this book. Um, what's important to me is that this is a book about presence. It is my cancer story, but what's important and what I've, I've, I've struggled a little to find the right partner in publishing, publishing it because it's a story also about family and love Mm. and how this actually it's for so many of, of your readers and, and women who are a part of this community, their lives were disrupted by cancer. And what I tried to do in my book, it's divided into three parts. And what I tried to do is show um, what it meant to partner with someone to, to get married. We move, we 
moved from New York City to Maine, to rural coastal Maine, and transformed our lives, had children, all of that. And to just be in the, the thick of that and all of the beautiful details of that, I really try to drop people into what it meant to create a family, to take the risks that we took, and then to, to have a cancer diagnosis. And so the second part is, is going into that um, actual experience. And, and you've, you've recently done another um, podcast, I believe, that I, I, didn't, I haven't gotten to listen to yet about um, inner listening in the, um, in the cancer journey or, mm-hmm. you know, listening to your own guidance. And that was a very big part of my journey was making decisions for myself that were based on my own instincts, which didn't always line up with the, um, the normal course of treatment. Mm-hmm. So um, that has been, and I write quite a lot about that in the book and how I came to make the choices that I made and also how my husband was a great advocate for me um, at times when I couldn't advocate for myself. And we saw the power of that. I had I had some pretty serious reactions to my treatments and uh, it made all the difference to have someone who would ask hard questions and um, on my behalf. So I explore that too um, in the book. And then and then just the, the third part is about coming out of it and healing and um, and just what that looked like for me as well. So I hope to be able to share it soon, but I'm really looking for the right right vehicle. I feel like it's worthy to be um, on the all the major bookshop books in all the major bookstores on the shelves. So I'm I'm holding out for the right person. I love that. I love it. Do you um, want to share the working title? Um, I would, I'm not going to share that at the moment, but I have to tell you that, that one of the ones that is on the list is there can be joy. Oh, good. I love that. Because it, it does feel that, that, that resin, that sort of reverberates throughout the writing as well. That same theme. Yes, absolutely. Well, and one of the things um, I want to mention before we go is I love in your piece how you shared these moments of realization, you know, as you're stepping out of, you know, back into the sunlight and out of this doctor's office and realizing you're experiencing a an emotion, you know, and you're putting your finger on what is this emotion. And I love when people use these little shifts you know, these realizations as a signal, okay, I need to write about this. I need to explore what this is, what I'm feeling. And so much is revealed to us when we do go to the page and start to work through, okay, what is this question I have? Or what is this experience I'm having? How do I make sense of it? And then it comes through in the story. And I am I guess I'm just saying I love that you included, gave us insight as readers to that that process for you. Thank you. 100%. I, I would say that I, I often discover how I feel about something once I've written about it. It's harder for me to access it, you know, otherwise. And that is my vehicle for, for discovery of, of my inner perceptions of things. And, and it also, it helps me to actually work it out too. And, and to, um, sort of elevate my consciousness and my way of, of being with the things that happen to me. Exactly. Exactly. It's so interesting. Um, I forget exactly right now who said it, but I really hold it 
core to to the work that I do here in Wildfire, you know, and helping people write their stories, is that memoir and personal narrative isn't so much about this massive thing that happened, but it's about what came next. You know, what what did we do with what happened? And I think your story is a beautiful example of that. And I love too that you slowed it way down for us. So thank, thank you, you, Megan. Thank you so much. And thank you for the work that you're doing. It I actually, I, I do want to share that um, very strangely, I was, my, a, a dear friend was diagnosed with breast cancer, a friend in, in my school community, my children's school community. And I think it was, it was about a month later I was diagnosed. And so we went through this very much together and she introduced me to Wildfire and to your work and she knew as a writer and she, she encouraged me to submit this piece to you. And she's just my dear friend, and and um, I I just wanted to acknowledge that. But thank you for the beautiful work you're doing, and um, and it's just so gorgeous what you do too. The visually, it's it's incredible. Thank you, thank you for that, and thank you to your friend for for thinking of wildfire in wanting to support you. I love that. Absolutely. So, where can people find you online, Megan, and stay in touch as your book comes to life? I have a website. Um, it's www.meganathanson.com and that's Megan with an H. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Megan Nathanson artistry. So I'm also a visual artist. So some of my things are there. I'm not super active there. My website is a better place to sign up to receive my newsletter and things like that. All right. Perfect. Well, we'll definitely link to that in our show notes. I really appreciate you being here. So everyone listening, the writer and guest you just heard from was Megan Nathanson, and her piece was called There Can Be Joy from our August-September 2021 issue of Wildfire. That was called Community. So thank you so much, Megan. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our now 37 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There is no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. Don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. So here is today's writing prompt. As always, I want you to set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing. The prompt is a quote that is unknown in attribution, but it's beautiful. And I was thinking of it as I listened to Megan read her piece today. The quote is, if you stumble, make it part of the dance. If you stumble, make it part of the dance. So write it on your page and see what that brings up for you, where you can soften maybe as you're gripping at the same time in your experience. Eight minutes without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.